Welcome to Brokazatsu, two brothers, exploration of Tokazatsu shows and related media. My name is Sam. And I'm Harry. And I apologize if uh, the the description of this podcast led some people who don't normally come here to go here because we, we're we big nerds and we watched uh, the latest Star Wars movie, The Rise of Skywalker, and we will be discussing it uh, at the end of the podcast pretty in full. And I, I gotta assume a couple... There's got to be at least be one person who's going to want to hear some hot takes on that. It's coming here. Harry, Harry, apologize for nothing. Yeah, Those people, I mean, they're in the right place. Like, it, if they were coming here for Star Wars hot takes, they were in the right place, Harry. Yeah. It, we, the hottest of takes. Some burning hot takes. Uh, but that that's at the end of the show. Clearly marked. I've put a timestamp in the description. I'm assuming that he has. I can neither verify that. I cannot verify this. Harry's uh, responsible for all the back-end stuff. Yeah, I- I'm responsible for a big portion of the show. Anyways, <laughs> today we're just starting with our usual coverage of Kamen Rider Zero One, Episode 15. Yeah, we start this episode off uh, pretty close to the end of the last episode. So last episode, uh, our heroes had finally determined where the uh, Metsubo uh, Jinrai crew was hiding out in Sunrise City. Spoiler alert, it turns out it's in that city that they know that the robot uprising happened in and as soon as they showed up there there was a bunch of robots there so i'm not sure why this is a huge surprise yeah it really shouldn't be but regardless they finally have the confirmation that they need and so they are gearing up for war uh we jump to uh jin who is bearing the fallen human gear uh the fallen dodo human gear and he is mourning as a human would and for this he is chastised by his big brother he's taking some rocks and just burying the progress key but when Hirobi says, yeah, you're, you're just imitating humans, uh, don't do that. They died for the grand design and fulfilled their purpose. It's all the arc wills. Uh, from this, we jump to uh, Arturo. Or Aruto? Yeah, Arturo? Ar- Aruto. Ar- Aruto. Aruto. Uh, he is visiting a Th- grave. Think Naruto without the N. Okay. I mean, we're, we're what, like 20 episodes into this? I should probably learn the main character's name. Oh, 15, but I just said 15. Well, I mean... They just said the main character's name, too, so clearly I don't listen, Harry. So, Aruto, he's uh, mourning in his... He's also mourning, because he's at the Hedon family grave. Yes, he's there with uh, Izu and with Astronaut Boy, the one who survived. And they're having a... Yeah, they're having a long conversation about uh, Arturo's dad. Aruto? Aruto's dad. Uh, (laughs) Aruto says that he considers... It's always like this, new listeners. It's always like this. Aruta says he considers all human gears family, and so like in this grave is not just as not just his biological family, but there's also some components of various human gear bots, including his father, quote unquote. There's lots of quote unquote about his family relations. I'm starting to suspect. Yeah, like I mean, we still haven't like the Metsubo Jinrai crew aside, we haven't had many like secret human gear reveals yet, and we all know that's coming. Like it's just it. It's a barrel of a gun that we are staring down. Some of these characters are secretly Humagears, and we don't know who yet. So yeah, Arto says, I I mourn all the Humagears that I've seen die. They're all just doing their best. They're existing out there, like your brother, Subaru. But Subaru says, no, no, no. He was a he was a spy. I don't care about him at all. But but Izu says, like, no, I I had a brother recently, and uh that's something precious. It's a special thing to have. And Arto is impressed that Izu is, hey, getting some emotions. So, uh, Astronaut mentions that he can still kind of feel Raiden. And I was confused by this. I thought that Raiden was destroyed. Well, it's more like 
astronaut boy thinks for a second and has an immense emotional reaction. So I think he's kind of going along the way to being important. Also, thematically, I, I didn't mention it last episode, and it didn't happen this episode. I kind of suspect he's the fourth Metsubo Jinrai guy, because uh, they said there's like four characters, and Hirobi and Jin are two of them. Fuwa said, hey, there's also a thunder and a death, and we saw thunder, so Subaru might be death. That's just, I don't know, it makes some sense. Well, I was kind of assuming that the fourth Metsubo Jinrai guy was going to be uh, uh, Yuya's uh, like, secret boss, who I guess isn't secret anymore. He has a name and a face, I just, you know, can't remember either. Eh, he's, he's Guy. Oh, that's right, he's Guy. Guy. Yeah, let's jump to the Ames attack, which is immediately ambushed, like, instantly. Like, they're getting ready to deploy, and hey, oh, the enemy's here. Yeah, because they say we expected a preemptive strike. So, Fua pulls out his new upgrade, Assault Wolf, that Yua was cautioning him earlier. Maybe you should... You, you know, you should hang back and not use that because you know how you vomit blood every time you use it? That That's causing some problems. <laughs> she even went to her boss guy and said, hey, I think Fuwa's like, he's really running himself ragged. And the guy's like, yeah, he's a real hero. This is, it's a real new mythology. It's great. And I I think he was getting a little bit more clear. My boss might be evil. Yeah, she's starting to suspect that she might be one of the baddies or at least working for one of the baddies, which... I certainly hope is, I mean, she survives this episode, we'll just say that, but I do agree that she's starting to throw out some of those death flags. But it's Yua, it's Fua, and like 30 basic SWAT aims guys that don't really matter. Oh, they kind of do. They distract with like full automatic fire a couple times, but that's more or less the extent of what they do. But the fight is pretty even, you know, uh, Yua and Fua uh, both like holding their own, uh, but they... Uh, survive long enough for uh, Aruto to show up and just start fucking dominating the baddies. Because he had Shining Hopper, and so he's able to dash around. He he can counter Hirobi. He pulls out his new authorized buster thing. He lands a massive hit. Yeah, so uh, Jin is isolated by Fua, uh, who is he's continuing to fight, but he's clearly feeling it. Like, he's clearly dying inside. This upgrade was not designed for humans. Uh, but he goes for a finisher, and uh, Hirobe sees that this finisher is about to land, gets some kind of message from the Ark, and jumps in front of it and takes the bullet for Jin. Blasted out of his transformation, and he's also visibly cracked and damaged. Mm. And he's thrown dramatically away into a lake. Yes, yeah, so he's got that robot, like, you know, split face, like, leaking blue blood everywhere. So Fua, he collapses to the ground, saying, like, I, I got him. I did it on my own. I'm the best. And vomits more blood. Uh, Jin is completely distraught. Uh, Izu walks up to gloat a little bit and gets speared uh, by Jin with one of his tentacles. I, I, this, this was absolutely going to happen at some point, Terry. Like, all the monsters in this show, they have these, like, humigir-seeking tentacles that they could just kind of sprout out at will. And Izu hangs around these fights a lot, so... Well, I, I think usually she's a bit closer to one of the common Riders when they're fighting, so they may be able to block or deflect the hits. But she got in close to confirm the kill, and Jin freaks out saying, Why are you smiling? You're human gear too. And hits her with a hack tentacle. And she goes down hard. Aruto flips out. He jumps up, cuts, the, cuts off the tentacle, starts shouting Izu's name as her eyes are kind of glitching and turning dark. Uh, so after this, like, you know, the fight's over. 
Uh, so the good guys have suffered injuries. The bad guys have suffered injuries. Uh, it's up to you to determine which ones I was describing there. So uh, Jin takes her obey uh, down to the Ark and uh, uh, Yuya and Fuwa go to the hospital with all the other seriously beat to shit cops. Fuwa's in bad shape. In real bad shape. Evil President Guy says, hey, this was a totally flawless victory. We basically didn't lose anything important. And Yuya says, well, a lot of people were wounded, boss. Uh, like, you know, I I don't know. And he says, no, no, no. You're, you're heroes. You're creating a new mythology. You're showing people that Kamen Riders are the next generation in weaponry. Eh? Yeah, so- soon the arc will rise again. The pace will accelerate by 999%. <laughs> 999%. Yep. Just throw that number out there. Arto, meanwhile, has taken Izu back to his office, and he's flipping out. He's just like, he lays her down on a table, goes over to the wall full of tools and be like, what What do I need? How do I fix her? You know, I, how do I do this? And the vice president comes in to try to do a stick, and Arto is not fucking taking it this time. Oh, yeah, yeah. The president, he's, you know, twisting the knife real bad, saying that the company is in real bad shape, and none of it would have happened if uh, he was president. Ruto straight up says, get out of my sight. Yeah, sorry, but can you just get out of here? I have more important things to do. Uh, the VP says, you could just replace Izu, and he's like, no, I freaking can't. She's family. She was just starting to understand family. I'm going to save her. I'll deal with Metsubo right tomorrow. I am begging you. And the VP mentions that he's going to force his hand through some kind of uh, parliamentary procedure with the company's board of directors to oust Aruto uh, as a president and uh, install himself. If they could do this, I'm surprised they didn't do it earlier. Uh, it's it's corporate shit, Harry. Like, it it takes forever. So when he quietly leaves with, with his even lower down toady and cool... Sexy android Shesta. Yes, his assassin slash sex bot. Yeah, who is going to turn into a real cool robot or something, I bet. Uh, Subaru says, hey, if so we have the 3D printer thing here. If you put Izu in, it's directly connected to the satellite. If anything knows how to fix her, it's that. And Aruto, he does this immediately. Like, he trusts Subaru completely. And so into the thing, uh, Izu goes. And they start, I mean, there's a lot of lights. It's starting to heal her. Hirobi has the same idea, but uh, the Ark has other plans. Yeah, like, Jin is trying to heal his big bro, but Hirobi insists, like, no, this is the will of the Ark. I am to die, and you are to gain sentience. Yeah, I'm getting fridged by the evil AI overlord just to make you mad enough to kill humanity. Mm -hmm. This is my job. I raised you as a son for precisely this moment to die in front of you. Here I go. And, yeah, so we are down... One major villain. Like, hey, the, the starting villain? Yeah, it's about the 50% mark in the series, so it's time for him to die and be replaced. Uh, what? It's the 33% mark. It's episode 15, like, in these shows last, like, 45 to 50 episodes, so we're a third of the way in. Do you think they're gonna have three phases of villains this show? I mean, that's usually true. I don't know. I, Because we've had a kind of series of what seem like climactic episodes, so I'm not sure about the phases, but yeah... I, I think we're kind of still, I, we're transitioning into, like, the second arc. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, speaking of climactic stuff, uh, Jin has gone crazy and is straight up attacking everything. But, Harry, zero casualties. We're just zero, zero casualties, Harry. It's weird to reference this because I haven't actually finished the game myself, but it's a bit like the end of Nier Automata, where the evil sub-robot uh, freaks out, his eyes glow red, and the arc could probably 
3D print just a bunch of evil Mook human gears. And it turns out that uh, Ames made more Gigers, I guess, and those are instantly hacked again, because great job, Ames. You, if you don't turn out to be evil, you are the worst ever. They probably used the same password. Well, they, they changed it to password two. <laughs> Who could think of that? Uh, Izu and Fua are the first to arrive on the scene of the rampaging Humagears and Geigers, and they they go down pretty fast. Fua is almost vomiting blood before he transforms. Yeah, yeah, like I was I was a little concerned that Yua was going to bite it here. But she is just knocked down, she detransforms, and she is very much alive. Uh, when Naruto shows up, he summons his, like, big Geiger buster and starts, you know, knocking shit down. At, at the beginning of the fight, there's a brief speech where, at least... Uh, to Jin, the reason that Metsubo Genrai is doing this is that uh, if humans don't go extinct, all other life on the planet will. So this is the conclusion the Ark team came to. We gotta kill humans to save everything else. I, I guess that's a motivation. I, I don't know. It's I think it's... I really don't think that's their actual motivation. I mean, they may think that's true, but... I don't know. I think they're being controlled uh, by the evil corporate guy that Yuya is working for. Like, controlled or manipulated or something. Uh, Aruto, he detransforms. He talks to uh, Jin for a little bit. He asks, like, if you're about protecting Humagears, why have you been murdering Humagears? Every battle, like, you murder a Humagear. Izu, what's a Humagear? Why did you hurt her? You you can't do that and call yourself their friend. And uh, I'm going to protect the future for humanity and the Humagears. There's a flash in his eye, and he goes into the weird hyperspace thing that he connected to in the first episode where he's directly connected to the satellite is like, oh, satellite Zaya, did you know this was going to happen? As he looks and realizes the upgrade things that they've gotten can actually kind of be kitbashed together. So he's about to get some kind of ultimate form and probably kill Jin and end the Metsubo Jinrai arc and begin the phase two arc. Yeah, so he takes the assault wolf upgrade thing that uh, Fua used and takes off part of the grip and attaches it to his shining hopper and he transforms with that. And uh, as he transforms, there's a shot of both the Metsubo Jinrai evil satellite and the lake and satellite Zaya up in space, both shooting a later laser and hitting him. And when it transforms, it says hybrid rise. Sam, I think he's like a synthetic hybrid thing. You think he's half human, half human gear. Yeah. Or uh, something like that. Like he's, He's not just a regular human gear, but I also don't think he's like a human. He is the face of things to come. He's the android and the human, like the product of love or something. Well, the pro the product of uh, unregulated corporations. Yep, yep, yep. But that's where the episode ends. Like uh, he just uh, transforms. The series continues. Like if we if we track it, Harry. Like this is episode fifteen. We've seen more than fifteen transformations for people. So this show has absolutely. <laughs> introduced a new transformation every single episode, at least on average aggregate. Yeah, like, uh, we kind of ran through this one, but it's just a lot of fight scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is mostly punching this week. I did look at the next episode preview, and I do think st stuff is still popping off. I seem to see uh, Jin, like, bleeding blue from his face, so the fight continues. Maybe we'll see what Guy's doing. We, let's go to that into a couple episodes with a more talking and, well, but also not the right type of talking and characters really be, should be able to solve stuff faster. But let's go to Gaim.
Yeah, so Harry, last week, um, like, the, the file name that I sent you was Common Rider Betrayal! Exclamation point, exclamation <laughs> point. And I kind of wish I had saved that for this week. That you, that it doesn't matter, because you would, even if you saved it for this week, you would, there would be a later episode that you also could have used that. Sam? Can I pretty just, like, is there going to be a betrayal every single episode from here on in? Uh, like, did the sides make- switch so quickly? Like, people just rotating and stabbing each other in the back, and then getting stabbed in turn? People are just on a turn style with knives in front of them. You know, I'm thinking about it, the answer might actually be yes. It's pretty rough, because, uh, some stuff that has been boiling for a while is coming to a head. Because uh, at the end of the last episode, Michi shot Kota, his good old friend, in the back. Mid-transformation, so he was vulnerable. And he was knocked out. And so Michi, at the start of this episode, he walks up to his unconscious friend, and he's about to seal the deal. He's about to do the coup de grace shot to the head of his former best friend. But he gets smacked out of the way by Baron, who <laughs> shouts and asks him what the hell he's doing. He drives off Michi, and uh, then Kaito, like, he's kind of leaning over the unconscious Kota, and Kota's earned a bit of his respect by this point, so he decides to do the humane thing and leave him in a tree in the alien world. Kaito, his motivations are, it's weird to parse, because Michi points out, hey, uh, I'm, uh, Kota is, he's in your way all the time, you know, leave him alive and he'll just be trouble. Kota says, no, he's not my enemy, my enemy is those who would shoot the strong in the back. Like, Kaito realizes, hey, you're going to be a problem. I'm just going to try to kill you. I'm kind of following Kaito's motivations and that they're, you know, they're wishy-washy and hypocritical. Like, he he talks... Here's Kaito's motivation, Harry. He talks a big game, but he has that little part of him that refuses to allow him to follow through with the assholery. He's not wrong, Kaito. He's not wrong, and, like, he's probably the most morally consistent character in the show. Uh, But no. Yeah, Kota, he wakes up in a tree, and I guess he's fine. So he runs back to the Gaim clubhouse. Uh, is that now, or is that... No, that Harry, that's the next episode. Right, that, yeah, that, no, no, that's the next episode. Because uh, this is just Michi himself going back to the clubhouse. Yeah, he's talking with Mai, and he's just being all grim, and starting to really, like, lose the thread on the friendship and his own motivations. Mai asks, Mai asks if they made up, and... He says he did. Uh, Mai was worried because he wasn't acting like himself back then. And, you know, it, it was weird. And Michi just says, how should I act to be like myself? Like, what's the real me, Mai? Hmm, I'm kind of having a moment. <laughs> uh, we then jump cut from this to a sexy shower scene and we get some hardcore Takatora butt. He is showering, but then we see a wound on his shoulder. And we we go from Takatora butt to some Takatora abs as he is flashing back to his shirtless testing of the original transformation device. We get Takatora butts, we get Takatora abs, we get Takatora shoulders, like, oh, this one's for the ladies, Harry. Uh, Ryoma is there. Uh, you can tell it's earlier because he's wearing glasses. I guess Ryoma got LASIK when he realized the world was going to get eaten by monsters, and maybe he should take care of that earlier. That's a terrible idea. LASIK has long-term uh, symptoms that you require, like, good medical care to keep up with. But, hey, that's that's another discussion. Maybe he thought when he would just keep it keep it good for a while, and then he would be god or dead. So either way, it'd be not a problem. Uh, but yeah, the flashback shows uh, Takatora. He's testing an early uh, an early version of the belt. It malfunctions and seriously fucks up his shoulder. Ryoma runs forward and rips the the transformation thing out as it's sparking just just to save him. And so yeah, like 
what we're getting is like the scientist of warring scientists and Takatora, they are 100% bros at this point. Like they're on the same page. They're working together and they, you know, are just getting along until the scientist visits Takatora in the hospital and they have a hard conversation about their different goals. Ryoma's telling him to leave his paperwork. You're still wounded. Uh, I'm sorry about my, my tech failing you. If my research were better, Takatora says, no, no, your your talent is our last hope. I'm bidding the world on it. And Ryoba, he, he's so happy, he starts revealing a bit of the plot, saying like, hey, I, I think I understand Helheim better. It's not just a force of destruction. It can also evolve humanity, maybe even turn people into gods. Takatora, being Takatora, doesn't believe it, says, ugh, that's just fairy tales. Um, It's fine. He tells him to focus on quantity over quality. Like, Takatora's goal is to save as many humans as possible, so produce that billion belts don't worry about making high-quality ones, because, you know, if you focus on that, you're not focusing on raw numbers. Whereas Ryoba's goals require him to have powerful belts that can fight overlords and then rule over what's left of humanity. Conversation goes so badly for Ryoma that when he walks outside, he tells Yoko, who's waiting, to not release the overlord information, keep it between themselves. Kurashima doesn't share his goals, he's just lacking in ambition. Mm-hmm. So that is the first sign of the split. Uh, jump back to modern day. Uh, we see Kota uh, still in Helheim. Uh, he is collecting seeds and using them to, you know, just not need food uh, to sustain himself with like a, what's that D&D magical item like the Ring of Sustenance? That's always the first thing we would buy in every game. But looking off to the side, he sees Orin. He's there like he fell through that crack a few episodes ago and he's. He's in Helheim, and he's starving. And because he's a well-trained military man, he knows not to eat the local fruit, even though the fruit wants to be eaten. So he's just desperate, and he turns to see, Oh, the Aquarian! Uh, Are you here to mock me? And when Kota pulls out some onigiri, like little rice rice, uh, meals, tries to act tough, but he, he quickly eats them. Yeah, so it's a bonding episode between Bravo and Kota. Uh, we go a little bit of ways where the overlords are attacking a camp. It's uh, Demushu, the big angry guy with a sword, and he's just beating up scientists and screaming at them, where is the red one? I need to fight him. Tell me where the red one is right now. And the scientists are freaking out because this invest can talk. They had no idea if this was even a possibility. Uh, Kaito, he was absolutely right about this guy. Uh, then the green overlord who we saw earlier, uh, he does show up and say some stuff to 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 uh, Demushu, but Demushu runs off, and Redu, for her part, looks at one of the belts on the ground and seems kind of interested. Red Redu might be a bit more of a thinker. Uh, so yeah, now we get a fight scene where uh, Bravo and Kota show up at the camp. Uh, Bravo's down in cards, uh, carbs, uh, and uh, still being horn dog over the melon knight. The overlords they're attacking, so everyone transforms and defends the civilians. Uh, Melon and Kota are working together uh, to fight the overlords while Bravo is just kind of fending off the general invest and saving the scientists. And yeah, this is a pretty well-oiled team pretty quickly. Yeah, like it's it's the exact moment you were looking for in the previous episode where Zangetsu shows up and it's like, what the hell is this weird talking overlord? Because says, oh, he's a, uh, well, he, he's an overlord. He, not all of the people of this world died when they ate the fruits. Some were still intelligent and we might be able to use them to save the world, but Kaito kind of fucked up stuff with this one. So Takatara thinks about it and starts beating him up and says, let's just capture him, then we could talk. So yeah, Melon Knight and Kota working together, being best friends. 
by a couple sentences between people immediately solving problems. <laughs> it's funny just how like just how little Takatora he thinks he's in the middle of everything, and he might be the least informed person on the show at this point. We'll get there. Like the fucking Mai probably knows more than Takatora. The the Conga line betrayal coming up is just beautiful to behold. <laughs> Uh, Dimushu is attacking more and more. He's firing energy balls. Uh, Bravo takes a big hit and goes down, like not fatally, but he's in Zangetsu's arms. That's all he wanted. Yeah, and then the overlords—they are summoned away by a figure that we don't really see. It uh, appears to be a big, shadowy, like white overlord type creature that's sitting in a throne. So at the end of the episode, we see uh, the villains minus Takatora uh, getting together and being like, hey, uh, Takatora is starting to be a problem. We need to do something about that, don't we? Uh, what if he actually captures the Overlord? All right, Sid, go deal with this. Kota and Takatora start talking. They're hunting the Overlord. But then Sid basically has to jump into the scene and be like, hey, Kota, we're supposed to kill him, right? All right, let's kill Kota. And drags it out just long enough for Kota to have to run off after the Overlord. <laughs> Yep, Takatora holds him, uh, holds him back, and he's like, wait, wait, I think Kota's is on our side now. I think we could all be good guys together. But Ryo Bakubase is saying, it was just a matter of time. It's time we gave our weary, wounded warrior a moment of respite. So now let's go to the next episode, uh, where Kota gets to burst into the Grease Lightning Garage. Uh, Michi gives him a chilly reception, which Kota totally doesn't notice. Kota says, all right, the Overlord got away, I'm sorry. But that white-armored rider, Takatora, he said he's going to work with us. And Michi is quietly stunned in the background of everyone else cheering. God damn, Kota just like immediately, immediately spilling all the information to the villains every single time. It's just, he doesn't realize it's the villains. All right, I'll say at this specific point, it's not crazy for Kota to have not realized that Michi is behind everything. It's not crazy. I guess it's not crazy. Uh, and so after this, we jump to a dinner scene with uh, Kota and his sister. They are having frozen fish sticks, which apparently is not great, although it looked pretty tasty to me. It's just like uh, the sister is saying, yeah, it, it's a little lean this month, but I'll pick up extra shifts. But Kota realizes, no, I, I really got to get a job now. A few episodes ago, wasn't the sister saying that Kota like didn't need a job or should like be quitting jobs or something like i i totally forgot where we were last at with the sister and uh coda's finances i feel like the last thing in finances she said was she turned on a big grip of money because of some weird philosophical like i don't think the show is behind what she said in episode four anymore like the, at this point the sister's just like no yeah you're doing something important it's it's fine you know you keep doing it i'm i'm gonna provide but no kota once runs out he has resumes then he has to fight some invests, and the resumes get destroyed. He is a very sad boy. He's Peter Parkering it up. Now let's jump to uh, Takatora giving the most awkward PowerPoint conversation ever. We we've discovered intelligent invests. They're called overlords, and they know more about Helheim than us. They might be able to control its spread. R Ryoba, like, you, you don't seem too surprised. You're a little subdued. <laughs> and Ryoba's like, I'm, I'm a man of science, you know? No, no, let's not jump to conclusions. It's... It's hilarious. Takatora is in a room at the front giving a presentation to four other people who all know more than him on this subject, and they know that they know more than him on this subject. Kota's definitely not our enemy. He's going to help us. And Sid points out, hey, uh, you're being optimistic. 
the overlords haven't shown any signs they want to help humanity. And Takatoro says, great, that's why we're keeping this to ourselves. Only the people in this room know this, because I trust you guys to deal with, we're going to deal with this together until we're sure. And I'm surprised Takatoro makes it out of that room alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the villains are going to betray him this episode. They should have just saved themselves some time and, like, just pulled out a Glock and done it right there. I think the whole thing is that in the forest, it's way easier to write off deaths, you know? There's no witnesses. Ah, They're the CEOs of a company. They're probably the only people on that floor. They could have just done it and then, like, you know, packed him up in a box, taken him to Helheim and dumped him there. I mean, it's not like they do it badly when it comes to it. Yeah, except that I'm assuming he survives. There's a brief scene that we can't say much about because it's mostly in alien language, but it's Demushu kind of kneeling before that stone throne and the weird uh, overlord in white, who will just, I'll, I'll say his name is Rushio, because, it's, you know, it's not like that's a spoiler, I think his name is Rushio. He appears to be angry uh, at the uh, big red overlord and seems to be torturing him, though again, not entirely sure what's going on. Yeah, he, he does the thing with his hand, and Demushu is kind of writhing on the ground in pain. He he has the pain device from uh, the Mirror Universe. So now we get to see uh, Kaito run into Michi in Helheim. They're both kind of wandering around, though Michi was definitely looking for Kaito. Kaito believes that this is because Michi needs to silence him, but Kaito assures Michi that he is not going to spill the beans to Kota. He, he doesn't care. Kota wouldn't believe him. It would be futile. And one day... He's just going to end Michi himself. This is almost the weird way uh, Baron was dealing with uh, Kota at the start of the series. Like, he shows up and threatens people and sees how they react, because he, I think he kind of wants people to stand up and fight for themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Michi's not doing things his way, and they're starting to realize, hey, this, this isn't going to work. Yeah, Michi's walking his own path, like, down the villain path, where Kota's walking the high road. Uh, it's bad times. Speaking of Kota... Uh, Kota is having a moment of self-reflection in the juice bar of self-reflection, and the juice bar decides to take pity on this poor boy. They post a job application, Harry, for a position that is a combination server and defender of the city. Bando, the cool fruit shop owner, he's basically instantly solving the Peter Parker problem by being a super stand-up guy and saying like, hey, I'm just going to give you a part-time job where if you have to run off and fight invests, that's cool. You know, that's part of the job. Like, it, it, in a big show full of big moments, this kind of quiet charity is honestly one of the better moments, I think. <sighs> so, what is next? Uh, oh, th- the next scene is uh, Takatora just sitting in a chair saying how great Kota is and how handsome and clever, and Michi just standing by and quietly seething. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Uh, and so the villain group, they're going into Helheim, and <sighs> yeah, this is where the betrayal goes down. Takatora's like, let's split up. Uh, Michi and Yoko go that way. I'll go with Sid. And they make it ten feet into the forest before Sid says, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, Fuck you, Takatora. I'm going to kill you now. So Sid betrays Takatora, and then Peach betrays Takatora, and then Ryoma betrays Takatora. And Takatora doesn't seem to see any of them coming. Like, you know, Sid attacks him, and, like, he manages to deflect, and then Peach shows up and he's like, Peach, help me with Sid. Oh, but Otto, you're here. But yeah, Sid attacked me for some reason, and he's really weak, so yeah, help me subdue him. He'll be fine. Minato runs forward and attacks him. Like, what? What? You're with him too? Oh, Ryoba, why are you here? <laughs> Ryoba pulls out his lock seed, and Takatora says, not you too. And Ryoba says, no, yeah, I'm transforming. 
And so we can kind of see the power rankings of this too. Sid, he's weak as hell. Like, I think Ryoba's a better fighter than him at this point. Uh, Yoko is almost even. And uh, so as these three people are beating down Takatora, and they're about to kick him off a cliff, Michi is standing in the background, and Harry, Harry, like Tokatura, the master of non-patterned recognition. What does he say, Harry? Michi, you gotta run to H. You gotta run to HQ. Tell them what happened here. You're our last hope. Go work with Kota Kazuraba. He's the dream of humanity. He's gonna do great. It's all on you, Michi. And then he gets knocked out a cliff to assuredly be dead. Like the villains say, hey, that fall probably killed him, and even if it didn't, he won't survive without his belt in Helheim for long. Because Spe- his belt is back on the ground, which Michi picks up. Hey, Michi finally gets an upgrade. So now it's pretty much just uh, Bravo and Acorn that don't have the upgrades, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I gotta scroll down a bit, because we read through fast, but there's a little- Takatura does yell a while, like, why is this happening? Oh no. It's like a minute long of just him screaming at Michi, like, Michi, Michi, you must run, you must run, we are family, and so we're clearly on the same sides. You're not here betraying me, you didn't know about this. Michi, go! Cut to the fruit bar, where Baron is kind of being a big jerk to Kota. Uh, well, not really, it, not like a big jerk, but it's, he's- It's a like, comedy, it's played for comedy. Like, hey, refill my cup, you know, you're not a very good server. <laughs> and he's really not. Uh... But then they get a they get an order for a remote delivery uh, that Coda uh, needs to run and uh, uh, that Coda needs to run and drop off a fruit delivery to the abandoned warehouse where fights happen. Yes, <laughs> talk about lack of pattern recognition again. Echoing the things of how certain people are exactly the same, Kota is walking through, and the uh, energy arm Zangetsu walks out of the shadows, and Kota says, "Takatora, what are you doing here?" Yep, and uh, he gets attacked. The attack gets blocked by Baron, who's like, yeah, this was a trap, but let's fight him. And as he goes to transform, Kota literally grabs onto him and says, no, he's not the enemy. (laughs) Do we think Kaito knows that it's Michi inside that suit? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, he he just says the evidence suggests otherwise, but Baron knows the deal. He He just doesn't seem to want to solve everything for Kota. I guess that's kind of fine. Like, you know, if if Kota can't figure this shit out for himself, then, you know, he's probably not useful in the long run. Baron and Michi. I mean, okay, uh, uh, the whoever is in the energy Zangetsu arms, they're fighting. And Baron is instantly better than this guy. Like, Michi is not a head-to-head fighter. He's really not. Like, even with the upgraded belt, he's just getting destroyed by these guys. So he summons some invest and gets the fuck out of there. Baron turns to him and says, like, hey, you're far too trusting of others. You can only trust in your own powers. You're not going to convince the overlords with a soft-headedness. Don't let your friends kill in your sleep. <laughs> it, it, it. So after this, uh, we jump back to the, uh, we jump back to the Egdorso lab, where uh, Ryoma and Peach, uh, they're having a science conversation. But then there's an alarm. There's something going down, downstairs, at the crack. Ryoma just finishes saying, don't take it personally, Takatora. Only one person can get the fruit. When we cut to Sid in the basement, wrecking all the equipment and saying, yeah, and I'm getting the fruit. Yep. Sid is making a play for power. Oh, Sid, you misread this situation badly. I'm not sure he does, because he wants to win, and he realizes he's not going to win in a fair fight. He's the worst fighter. So he breaks their shit, 
Uh, he destroys the crack into Helheim. And I'll, minor spoiler for next time we cover this. He's broken all their vehicles that go into Helheim because he's the guy in charge of Lockseeds. <sighs> Harry, but still, like, look at the overlords. There's more than one. Does he think he's going to handle this himself? Did he not see that, you know, the overlords were like 1v1 equal of power with any of the other common riders? He's making the big play because he, look, it's towards the end of the game and he knows he's not going to win normally. So he has to do something dramatic because he wants to be God, man. So, yeah, that's how the episode ends. Just betrayal after betrayal, Harry. So we're we're not covering Gaim next week. So just any thoughts on uh, where we on where you think the plot is going? So who gets to stab someone else in the back? So uh, there's Ryoma and Peach. So one of them needs to betray the other at some point. Uh, so Michi probably needs to directly betray Takatura at some point. But thinking back, like now that now that Michi and uh, uh, Takatura have exchanged belts. This does raise questions about, like, the opening scene of episode one. So there was the army that was headed by, presumably, Michi and Takatora. Like, I've looked ahead and confirmed, and yeah, from, like, I, I haven't, like, watched 100% of all the late, late episodes, but I've skipped around, and I think it's more metaphorical. Like, it, don't expect things to 100% line up right there. Like, that, there's, it's not 100%, like, literal. Yeah. Oh. That's almost disappointing. Like, it, it would have been fun. If, like, it was different people, if it was unexpected people, if people were swapping belts back and forth, because, you know, it's, it's a mask. It could be anyone behind that mask. Well, a lot of the belts are DNA locked. Uh, but Takatura's was not, or was it DNA locked so that his family members could use it? No, uh, the, the Sengoku belts are DNA locked, but the Genesis drivers aren't. Interesting. Okay. I'll say it now in case you don't want to listen to the last segment because of, you know, spoiler reasons. Next episode, we're actually covering Kamen Rider Kuga. For a late Christmas, early New Year special, we are going to the dawn of the Heisei era of Kamen Rider and watching a series that pretty much everybody loves. Because it, it just came back, it was a big nostalgic thing, and uh, do you know anything about Kuga before we go into it, Sam? Uh, not even a little bit. You're going to have to provide me those links, Harry. No, yeah, I got a USB with the videos. But it's just, it's well put together, and it's got a clear theme, and it's got... You know, good direction and everything, and uh, on the other hand, we're covering one other thing this week. Yeah, so full spoilers uh, for all things Star Wars. You know, we, not just, not just like Rise of Skywalker, we might be talking Mandalorian, we might be talking comics, we might be, uh, just full, absolute 100% spoilers for Star Wars after this point. Like, I mean, maybe not like too heavy on Mandalorian, because I think I'm a week behind, uh, but I mean, I think the thing with that show is good, but uh, there's a musical break. But maybe you could figure out my feelings about the movie by the music I choose to play right about now. Harry, what did you play? So the medley is pretty good. The movie, however, less so. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. The finale of the of the sequel trilogy of Star Wars movies. And uh, this is the most like, Harry, I think if we did a little bit of research, 
I'm pretty sure we could find this exact script on slash.net slash Star Wars. Like, this is this is the most fan fiction Star Wars big budget release I have ever seen. I might disagree because I read a decent amount of fan fiction. Um <laughs> and it's just because, you know, it it's it's like an infinite amount of stories you can read, and you know, sometimes when you're feeling down, it's just good to read about Adora and Catcher making out, you know. A lot of fan fiction is better than this. <laughs> like, alright. We'll establish some stuff. As we stated uh, in an earlier episode, Star Wars is super important to us. We watched it growing up a lot. It was just some VHS tapes we had. Yes, Star Wars was our family religion. Like, if if any of the listeners hear a story about someone walking up to Disney headquarters in California, dressed like a Benedictine monk slash Jedi, and nailing, like, 95 treatises about how to treat Star Wars, it might be one of the two of us. I watched this movie, and... I spent, like, basically yesterday just sitting, seething in anger. Like, if, if we'd recorded this yesterday, I don't think I would have been coherent in the way I was talking about this. And something to establish. So, people people are divided about lots of other recent Star Wars stuff. I like The Last Jedi. Sam doesn't. Like just, just, to, just to see where we're coming from. And we both hate this movie. It's tricky. It's tricky. Like, so, I'm not sure. Like, so we have, you know, power rankings, Star Wars power rankings. And there is a lot of stuff in The Last Jedi that I love, but there's also a lot of stuff in The Last Jedi that I hate. And so I'm conflicted of how to rank movies, you know, when when there's, like, stuff in there that I adore and stuff in there that I loathe. And I tend to, I tend to trend towards, like, if there's stuff in there I loathe, then I just lower the grade accordingly. So Last Jedi is very low on my Star Wars power ranking this one's below it uh there is still i don't know there are still some things in this movie that i did really enjoy harry and i i I think there was literally like one scene i liked literally was it the the lightsaber fight in the ocean no not that one because that was pretty good it was the that one was okay but it was the lightsaber fight in the star destroyer slash on the planet Yes, yeah, so that's that's another thing. The the, I would the say only th- good moments in this movie were basically burning the goodwill that was built by uh, The Last Jedi and the relationship between Kylo Ren and Rey. That's the only good thing. And, like, even then, it's not, like, a good way to deal with it. Because they basically... God, J.J. Abrams just... So they J.J. Abrams did The Force Awakens. They got someone else for the next movie. And I'm fairly certain that J.J. Abrams just put both movies he wanted to do in this one. Because this, this movie is paced like nothing I've fucking ever seen. Yeah, it's just a sprint. Uh, it has almost like the full plot of like an entire new trilogy into it. Like everything is packed together. Like the the pacing is just so rushed. It's it's like, a sprint. There is no, there's no downtime at any point in this movie. There's no space to like look. Li- I'm not kidding. Like, the, let me describe the plot of how like a scene will go. Like, there they, uh, Ray's walking around on a planet and she sees someone. It's like, oh yeah, I'll take this necklace. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's your name. Here's my name. Oh, but I don't have family name and stuff. Oh, uh, I'm gonna have a scene with Kylo Ren. Yeah, where we're talking and Ren gets a thing from the necklace. He turns to a guy like, track this necklace. The guy's like, all right, it's on this planet. Then cut back to the planet. A stormtrooper's there. It's like, oh, I see them. We're gonna fire. They're firing. Then they run off to a speeder bike. They drive away 
there's other Imperials there on speeder bikes. They're shooting. They're shooting. Uh, they they like fart blast and fire stormtroopers on jetpacks into the air. They're like they can do that now if they can. Ray immediately turns and fires. It almost happens exactly as fast as I said it. That's basically me doing a running commentary. Like <laughs> there's no like things will happen in a scene and like the the camera will just pan to the right and then the next thing is happening and like there's it's like I thought I was having a panic attack in the first three minutes because like is this. Is this the whole movie? Yeah, it, it, it opens. It opens with like hyperspeed skip jumping, which is what the fuck is that? It's <laughs> you complained about how hyperspace worked in the Force Awakens, and goddamn, Sam, how do you feel about this one? Oh, even worse. Like it's God. No, no, but no, 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 because that's not how the movie opens. How the movie opens is Kylo Ren like doing some sword fights, fighting some Sith stuff. Immediately going to a planet we haven't seen. He goes down into it. Palpatine is there. He's back alive again. He's like, yes, I was. I managed to be alive. And I'm not going to say how. By the way, on this planet, there's a hundred thousand of the largest Star Destroyers you've ever seen. Each of which, turns out, has a Death Star laser. Yeah. Yeah. We just have all this. No explanation as to where any of them. No explanation. It doesn't. At no point does he even say, like. Oh, we have like resources and factories here. It was stockpiling, or like it's. It doesn't. He doesn't say. It's just now we have like a hundred thousand. We have a million star destroyers. I'll give them all to you. Just uh, yeah, bring bring me Ray. It's fine. And like I spent a large part of the movie being like, well, when are they going to show what's actually happening there? Because obviously that's not real. No, but it's no, real. That- it they they went with the first draft, Harry. It's all real. Oh, the first they went with the first draft. You say because there are scenes where it's like. At one point, Hux just turns to the camera and says, like, I'm the spy. And and Hux then just gets killed. It doesn't matter. They they have the evil fascist general who's just named Pride. Like, you can't do that. <sighs> yeah. Do you think it's even spelled, like, with a Y or something? Or is it just P-R-I-D-E? It d- d- doesn't matter, Harry. Doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. Okay. So, yeah, we got, we got the Kylo bits, which, you know what would have made me really happy, Harry? If, you know, the first five minutes play out the same, and then, you know, when Kylo's holding that lightsaber to Palpatine's face, what if he stuck it in? That that might have actually been an interesting movie, if it's like, you know, hey, Palpatine, I've been doing everything behind the scenes, Kylo Ren's right there, and then Palpatine just dies. <laughs> but you can't do that because that would be consistent with Kylo's characterization and stuff at the end of The Last Jedi, and J.J. Abrams isn't going to follow that at all. Uh, it's also, yes, it would also make uh, Palpatine less important, and clearly Palpatine is the most important force user in this entire galaxy. And also the only important thing, like, you know how the previous movies were like, there's the force, sure, but Palpatine still needed a Death Star, and, like, it, they were, they mattered, but, like, Darth Vader still had to get out and fight her and shoot at stuff. It, the force could influence things, but then people still had to win fights, and, like... You know, ships would show up and they would batter. But no, in this one, Palpatine, he, in the final scene, when a when just like, literally like a spray tool of ships on the screen, because J.J. <laughs> Abrams doesn't fucking understand scale. Like, in, in the, all right, in the first scene, when they're like running through the interiors of uh, that ice ship and like just smashing through the walls, because uh, Poe says, hey, do you think we can just smash through those walls? Because I don't care. You know, there's no stakes in this. And there's like, but they're being chased by like 50 TIE fighters, where in any other movie, like in The Force Awakens, where they're chased by like three TIE fighters, that's a desperate struggle where they have to like deal with it. 
Uh-huh. Like, we can't even say this is like a J.J. A- a J. J. Abrams issue, because J.J. Abrams made The Force Awakens. He did this better. We saw better out of him two movies ago. But, like, at, at the end of the movie, so... Emperor Palpatine, first of all, he just, he sucks the force juice out of Rey and Kylo Ren because they're weird force-destined people. It's not just that they have a personal connection or anything. No, they're weird force thing. And anyway, that allows Palpatine to instantly suck the force juice out of them and become totally better. And then he just, like, raises his hands to the sky and fires lightning bolts at all the ships everywhere. And he's, nothing matters except the force people in this universe. And, like, (sighs) and they're so shitty to C-3PO. Like, (laughs) They they fucking hate him in this movie. Yeah. And Yeah, he's he's nothing but comedy relief. And granted that's a lot of C three PO in a lot of the movies. But you know, they they wipe his mind, they abuse him, like they deny and they make him a joke emotional. of it. Yeah. Like they they make a joke of it, especially in the scene where he's saying, like, yeah, I'm taking one last look at my friends. They have a robot that's a megaphone on a wheel, it just yells sad at that moment. <laughs> and I can't tell if JJ Abrams knows how dumb that is. And, like, I, seconds before his mind is wiped, he's like, oh, wait, I have another plan. But no, then they do it anyway. Based on some of the shit in the finale of this movie, I'm going to go with, I don't think he knows how dumb that was. Uh, I don't think that, let, let's think about this, Harry. I don't think that makes the top ten moments of dumb stuff in this movie. God. God. Do we want to talk it, about the metal? Like, when, when Maskinata. Did you hear me laughing when that happens? Yes. Maskinata hands Chewie. A medal, and just behind me, because Harry's sitting behind me, there's just this pained, cackling laughter of someone who has given up on everything. God, it's just... That's the worst type of fucking fan service. Like, it's... It's a callback, it's like, it's too fucking lingering. It's like, it's center of the screen, it's not even, like, background, like, fan service callbacks. It's... It's also wrong, <laughs> because Chewie actually got a medal in another ceremony. That That's canon. That's absolutely canon. Honestly, the thing to do there is that Chewie should basically be in charge of the Rebellion at that point, because he's the eldest surviving member, because they kill off Carrie Fisher. Which, I mean, I can't complain incredibly hard about that, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, because let's, uh, we she actually did die. We so, haven't talked about it much. The, the Leia stuff in this movie is rough. But it's it's almost not their fault. No, it is because they could have made other choices. Uh, uh, there were shit choice. The right choice would be to recast her, and that's or or just have her like say say she's getting like help in the just the core worlds or something like she's doing politics like she always does in this universe. But no, instead she has. So J.J. Abrams came up with the idea of, oh, in the Force, you can just send life force, and this is how you can instantly heal wounds or whatever. And, like, it's way different than force how Force powers have ever been portrayed, but whatever. I mean, to some extent, you could change that, and that's fine. But, like, no, instead, that's an excuse for people to just heroic sacrifice themselves, like, three times in this movie? Because the what Carrie Fisher, what Leia needs to do, I just keep saying Carrie Fisher because it was, I just... Every time she was on screen, it was like this. She she wasn't in the scene. They've zombied this together out of like other portrayals. Yes, she was acting against other people. She was acting in different scenarios. She was acting in different scenes. Like they just they took cutting room floor bits. They they tacked them together. They just blue taped them into as coherent a plot as they could. And it was 
Because, man, because uh, what we love about Princess Leia is like her five word sentences, right? Nothing longer than like five words in a single sentence out of her this entire movie. Because because these were the extras. These were the trim bits. There's no speech. There's nothing solid that she says. It's just like, uh, may the force be with you. It's like, don't lie to me. It's, you know, it's it's just all the extra little trim bits that they can edit into a scene if it's not punchy enough. Remember in The Last Jedi when, like, the capital ship she was on, it got hit with a torpedo and she was launched into space? So she launched herself back into the ship with a force and went into coma, woke up like a day later, immediately got a blaster, hobbled out, and shot Poe with the gun? Yeah. That was Leia. Yeah. They should have, like, if they wanted if they wanted Leia to be Rey's uh, master, which, fine, whatever, you know, that... That kind of makes sense that Leia's a Force user. She's trained in the Force. She should be Rey's master. They should have recast her. That was... It's a shitty choice, but it's the right choice. Yeah, or then anything... Like, they didn't have enough to... They, I mean, J.J. Abrams said, like, oh, we have footage. But no, they didn't have the right footage. They didn't have enough footage. What they used to make this movie was not enough. God, I... I Just bad choice on top of bad choice. Like, oh, bring uh, back you know Palpatine, of... bad choice. Bring, not recast Leia, bad choice. I mean, God, I, and the annoying thing is, because it's my brain, there's ways to fix parts of this. I know, I like, know, I don't know, I don't, that's, like, fuck. If, or, if we take like, these if, movies, edit them down the... into like four hours, there's some compelling shit in here. All right, so do they really need to have first the scene where he's getting a message from a spy that, uh, uh, about Palpatine and like, we need to go do this stuff. Then we need to go to the other planet to find a dagger. Then we need to go to another planet to translate the thing under the dagger. Then we need to go to another planet to find the thing that we found on the dagger after we translated it. And then we need to <coughs> God, go to another planet to have a brief speech to realize, oh, no, there's a thing in the ship. It doesn't matter. Then go. Yeah. Like, it didn't matter. Then go to the place. And then. It was fetch quest, fetch quest, fetch quest. And Harry, should we should we talk about the dagger? For a second. No. Should, I mean, do you want to? I, I kind of do. Because what the fuck was that dagger? Like, when was that dagger made? Why was that dagger made? Like, what was, what was the purpose of that dagger? So, it's a dagger that this Jedi hunter wields to, you know, murder people. And stenciled on the side is, like, the key location of this, you know, hidden tracker something something beacon something whatever. The th- the fucking thing is that that had to have been made in the past, what, like, 25 years since the second Death Star was destroyed. <laughs> like, it had it had the exact layout of the broken Death Star so that they could line it up to be perfect. Oh, God, I didn't even No, you're right, because I didn't realize that part. <laughs> yeah, that dagger is recently made. That is a very recently made dagger, Harry. <laughs> Like, I mean, that room wasn't even, you know, the room that the icon was hidden in, that that's only, like, 40 years old. God. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even an ancient tool. Like... If it was, some, if it was something like mountains or something like that, then okay. But no, it's recently dropped debris. Uh-huh. Debris, by the way, which is in the ocean that shifts. God, it... Uh, mm. Like, and... There's little bits I I would really want to fix. Like, goddamn, they, they. All right. So Poe, first of all, do you know 
Sam, have you heard that a lot of people like considering Poe and Finn to have like uh, romantic chemistry between them? Like they might be in a homosexual thing. How do, how do you think that we need to fix that? Uh, put a woman on screen for Plo, uh, for Poe to relentlessly flirt with. Yeah, and then put another woman on screen for Finn to kind of flirt with. Like not really, but plausible deniability. No, that that girl was there for Lando, as we all saw. Like that was Lando's going away present. Good job, good job, Star Wars. God, I, I hope Billy D got a fucking million dollars. I hope he got like ten million dollars for this. Yeah, it's he's he's done worse for less. Like and they got Wedge Antilles on for three seconds because he hates this franchise, and I don't think this changed his opinion. No, no, I'm sure it did not. Uh, but no, like uh, even watching the movie, like this is how bad it was. Watching the movie, my brain was coming up with better ways these scenes could be. Like, uh, so on the planet, like. Planet 4 they go to, I think, um, where they need to find the person to hack C-3PO so he can look at the translation. Uh, like, they meet an old friend of Poe's. And, like, they're they're kind of trying to build up Poe as having a rough past or being, like, a darker guy who's willing to do stuff. And big thing they see with his old friend uh, is that... That he used to be a spice trader. Just like half the rebellion. <laughs> yeah, like... Just like Han even... Solo. Why does anyone, like, well, they need to mention that so they can have quippy conversations about it, because that's the only type of dialogue in this movie. It's like, someone says a sentence, and then there's, like, a quip about it. Then someone says a sentence, and then there's a quip. You were a spice trader? You were a stormtrooper. You were a spice trader? You were a scavenger. Yeah, like, they they don't talk about shit. And anyway, so the big thing with her is that she's been saving up money to find a place to get somewhere, and there's, apparently there's a bunch of blockades in the universe, because the First Order has... I guess they already have infinite resources instead of being like three ships, whatever. But like they're they have blockades and there's like there's a literal diorama of the screen going left to right of them being fascist and like checking ID and like no we're taking children and like it, it's comical the way camera pans in this to like just see stuff and then it goes on to the main characters who will shout a line and then run to the other side of the screen. But anyway, so she has a like a badge or whatever that she can use to get past blockades or something. It's like this is my way out. Uh, to get to a planet, you know, you could come with me, Poe. Uh, but, you know, I really gotta get a, a thing out. But as they're leaving, they need to get on the ship because they thought Chewie was dead, but he's not. And I have no idea why they did either of those. Uh, That's just confusing script. That's the type of script clutter that should have been cleaned up in in additional edits. This really does feel like a first draft. Well, they, they had to show Rey being emotion, emotional and not in control of her power because she's, you know... She's not good at this because she's a bad Jedi. That's why Kylo Ren is so much more calm and controlled. That's so keeping on from where the last movie ended instead of the exact opposite, where Kylo Ren was basically a raving madman, feral who just wanted to destroy the galaxy out of spite. Uh, but no, he's totally redeemed this movie in a different way. Anyway, yeah. so he, she they has the badge thing that they need to get on the ship. And honestly, if they wanted to sell Poe as like a shitty dude and like them needing to make sacrifices for this movie, like he I think Poe should just... Yeah, he just stole it. And then they could have even paid it back later when the lady shows up to save, well, she, it's like the big fleet of ships. Like, you could do that better. Just, like, reduce, literally one-tenth of the ships would still be impressive. Anyway. But the, there's, like, a million Star Destroyers, so I guess you need a billion fighters of, like, everywhere to do it. Uh, uh, she, she could have, sh- like, showed up and still done that. And then at the big celebration at the end, she could have, like, just shot Poe. Like, not fairly, but just, like, in the arm. That would have been paying it off and been fun. 
But no, instead she just gives it to him and it's like, no, yeah, it's fine. Like nothing matters in this movie. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. Hyperspace doesn't. So uh, I kind of want to follow up with several of the things that you just talked about, Harry. Uh, which what should I rant about first? Hyperspace or the First Order? We we, we have we're, there's no like order of things here. Like there's no just, just hyperspace. Go where your heart it is. Leads you. So, OK, Harry, what is hyperspace like? Because these movies don't agree with what hyperspace is. The screens get blurry for a second, then you're in a different place in the universe. That's all. It, and you can do it seems can like teleportation. Anywhere. Like Yeah. And there's no like limits or risk or in any way. Like you could you could literally say, like, I want to be but like if your ship is like ten meters wide, you could say, like, I want to be in this ten point one meters wide gap, and you're there and it's fine. It's precisely there. There's there's no need to analyze stuff. Or anything, it's fine. There's no need to run calculations. There's no need to get to hyperspace lanes. By the way, the movie mentioned hyperspace lanes. Harry, what's a hyperspace lane? If if hyperdrives are just teleporters that could work instantly and get you across the galaxy instantly, then, like, yeah, when Kylo Ren, you know, when they were doing uh, their, when they were doing their link to Eddie Stoller, uh, Ray's necklace uh, to find out what planet she was on, how long did it take for him to get there? Like, five fucking minutes. It's the same thing as in The Force Awakens. It's the same thing as in The Last Jedi. The galaxy is, like, right next door to each other, and hyperspace just gets you there in five fucking minutes all the time. There is no time lag. There is nothing. And this this is so annoying because it means the, the thing between Kylo Ren and Rey, where they have, like, the Force connection, uh, where they can, they've, you know, it's been developing since the last one. Like, they're able to touch each other and like actually affect things like that's why i the one scene i liked was when ray is in the uh like trophy room of ren's on a ship and and ren is down on the down on the planet and they're sword fighting it like as they're breaking objects they're showing up in the other person's area and that's how ren actually realizes like oh she's on my ship like that's actually a cool moment and it would their link would be so much cooler and more impactful if you couldn't teleport anywhere in the universe in two seconds with a hyperdrive. Oh, and, like, that reminds me. And it's not even related, but, like, so, uh, when they show up to the, the planet with the, like, the one of the moons of Endor, where, uh, like, they need to go check the thing, they can't just go over with the Millennium Falcon because it was damaged in the crash. Sam, why did they crash? I don't know. Like, they there was a throwaway line about their landing gear being out, but, I mean, they could have just... The ship Gone can hover. Down. Yeah, it, it can hover. Like, why did they plow into the ground? Like, why? There's not even the line saying, like, oh, the atmosphere is bad here. That's why we can't just fly over. That might be... No, it's just like, no, we just crashed. Like, it doesn't matter. Well, clearly, Harry, they needed universe... to crash because they needed an excuse for Ray to take that skip boat across uh, to the Death Star instead of just taking the Millennium Falcon over there, which would have made a fuck ton more sense. Like, Poe probably turned to Finn and is like, hey, do you think we could crash into that planet? Not this time, turns out. Anyway, uh, Chewbacca's just going to be in the background mourning the death of another of his friends for half a second before the camera cuts away. <sighs> Jesus. And, okay, so, the movies, they don't know what hyperspace is. Like, you know, it's a magic, it's a magic Everyone whatever it Everyone but J.J. Abrams knows what it is. Well, uh, Rian Jostin also doesn't know. Like, they... They mention the Holdo maneuver again in this movie, and they even kind of, like, I'm going to, they, at least they in show the Last it. Jedi, they spend some time in hyperspace, like, 
they're they're in hyperspace they're like sitting around and talking and having interesting conversations about that that have totally like god they just totally 100% backed off on stuff of that movie in this one yeah yeah they like, did like like that that guy uh, these movies like, are at war with each other harry i i can't in my heart of hearts believe that jj abrams made this movie in good faith he was so angry that they didn't let him have Star Wars that he decided to burn down the franchise on the next one. Or I, I have no idea. It is is he okay? Is someone checking on him? I'm sure is he's like, fine. Like Harry. <sighs> okay, so if we're gonna be talking every about shot JJ. needs to be like three. Every, every shot needs to be like three times as long. Every they need to. They, I don't want him to be fatally hit with the car. I wanted to just like get tapped by one and like have a cracked rib and need to just like lay down for a while. Like nothing crippling, but like he needs to think about what he's done. Harry, did you ever see Star Trek Into Darkness? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, oh I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like God, a better movie than this one. And how painful <laughs> is it to say that? Uh but Like every JJ Abrams movie you've ever seen just got one movie better. And that's a weird thing to say. So JJ you know, I'll say this, like, there are parts of Force Awakens that I really didn't like, but I'm cool with J.J. having, like, the first movie in a series, because he sets a good pace, and, you know, he sets up some things for, like, it has a good, healthy energy, but never, ever, ever give him a later movie, <laughs> because J.J. cannot stick the fucking landing. Like, the first episode of Lost is one of the best episodes of TV that has ever existed. The last episode of Lost is one of the worst episodes of TV that has ever existed. <laughs> like, JJ... He shouldn't be able to direct traffic after this. And it's weird because I know he's going to get more movies and I don't understand why. Like, I, I've i seen people online being like, eh, that was a fun show. Like, I'm looking at Facebook and I'm not going to name them, but we have friends who are like, eh, it's, hey, just have fun watching a Star Wars movie. No! You can't have fun because you have a headache looking at the scenes change so fast. <sighs> Think think back to, just, like, think. A New Hope, like, the long shots establishing of, like, Luke staring at stuff. Or, like, in in every in every movie, there's been, like, uh, like think about the, the Empire Strikes Back. How that will have gone if J.J. Abrams did it. Oh, God. Like, no, Luke, no, no. Don't, Luke, let's not go down this path here. Uh, down this darkness lies. But let's... Like, no, it's just, like, in real time. Like, Luke is out there. He's, like, scanning stuff. And there's, like like there's like a scream and like a swipe from off camera and in like two seconds uh we go inside and like people are running around in hallways and we're like Wait, luke has gone down i don't know i gotta go look for him yeah but it'll be it'll be bad it's fine like we close the doors i'll crash through him it's fine he goes down there luke is having like a weird or like oh no there's a weird tiny cute alien or something in the in the base that's like making noises <sighs> harry let's up uh... god i forgot what i was gonna say all right, let's let's talk about the first order for a second, Harry. What is the first order? Yeah, see, see, this universe, like the series, doesn't know what the first order is, Harry. The series never set the stakes. So when the Force Awakens starts, there's a new republic in the galaxy. Like they're not as big as the Empire, but you know, it's it's assumed, it's kind of, uh, it's stated that you know they're. As that they're a big entity, like multi planets, they got their Hosnian Prime stuff, they got a big fleet and all that. Like they're a decent power. But what is the first order? Like, we don't know if there's first order planets. We don't know where they get their resources. Like, are they 
are they a government? Are they just straight up a terrorist organization that blows stuff up but doesn't actually control or govern? Like, we never, we never learn that. We don't really understand what the goals of the First Order are. We don't understand their methods. We don't understand their, their fleets. Like, there's a point in this where one of the First probably Pride, the First Order generals, they're saying that Palpatine, you know, giving them this fleet is increasing their resources 10,000 fold. What was that? Do you remember that line, Harry? Yeah, and so this small fucking fleet is increasing the First Order's fleet like 10,000 fold. Was this literally just like a dozen Star Destroyers that the First Order had? I mean, I'm pretty sure that's how it should have been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the whole point of the last movie is that no one cared because this didn't matter. But no, J.J. Abrams can't deal with that. So everybody's the most important thing ever. And everyone shows up because they all care. The original trilogy was about the Galactic Civil War. And I'm not War. saying that can't change. Like, I'm not saying that that can't move. Like, there can't be a development to make that. But there need. But you need to see the point where it changes. Like, something wins them over. They see the stakes. But no, it's just like, people don't care. Uh, I'm but also, now they do. Yeah, I'm also unsure about the timeline of this. Like, how much, how much further past the For- uh, Force Awakens, Last Jedi, what did this movie take place? It appears to be long enough for Finn to grow like an inch of hair, but not long enough for Rey to buy a second set of clothes. Yeah, somewhere between a month and a year. Okay, so let's be charitable and call it like, six I, I have months. Problems with- I have problems with the timeline of The Last Jedi, but this one, I mean, like, nothing makes sense to this one, so it's not better. Like, like the, the Last Jedi Force Awakens, they ran together. That's, like, less than a week that was the time span of those movies. We've said it before, we'll say it again. Like, there was a guy on Coruscant who, you know, right before The Force Awakens started, he decided to take a log weekend. He turned off his comm link. He was just having some me time in his apartment. For like a few extra days, just slacking off for work, and he had no idea what was going on. That's how fast that those two movies took a place. And how little impact they had on the galaxy writ large. Like, we don't know what's happening. We don't know where the First Order is. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know their size. We don't know their resources. The original trilogy, it's an empire. It's a galactic empire. That doesn't mean they're everywhere, that doesn't mean they're all-powerful, but it means that we know the scale and the stakes. We never uh, learned I mean, that with this trilogy. The The problem is, I feel like to a certain extent we did learn it, it's just that this one undid it all and now we don't care. Well, what what was the answer, Harry? What did we learn? It, it was relatively small, like, it was, the First Order, it was bigger than maybe a lot of people thought, but still it was like, they had like a small corner of the galaxy that they were building resources in, and they could definitely cause problems, but like, not... They weren't like a galactic threat, but now they are. And now they're like fascists everywhere. They were a regional power that for some reason can't get like a hundred ships to fly up at the same time. I mean, you gotta make up stuff so that stuff makes sense. No, so. you don't, Harry. You don't. Like, you just have to be smart about it in the writing and the design of the story. Like, that shit wouldn't have flown in the original fucking trilogy. Like, so the MacGuffin, the reason they beat the fleet this time is that all these Star Destroyers, they're, like, standing in the planet's atmosphere, and there's a single control tower that is telling them when they can fly up. As opposed to just, you know, flying up. The reason they need to do that is so so that they can have a... Look, it's kind of... uh, In a better movie, like, 
the problem is that they do a couple things that would like be better if it was movie was better. Like that they do like a landing on top of a star destroyer that could totally have been an awesome climax if we liked any of the characters or cared at all. <laughs> yeah, but why? So when they do that, Finn's like, "Oh no, I have a plan," and they're riding. They have like steeds and weird like space beasts mm-hmm. why aren't they just using vehicles like is there a reason well there is that throwaway line where you know they land on the ship and the uh, general pride he says oh jam their speeders and the person next to him says we can't jam their speeders they're not using speeders see if if that had been established in any way like so one in the nonsense fight when they're like farting rocket stormtroopers in earlier in the movie the stormtroopers are on like weird tank tread bikes that are like nothing the empire has ever used and if for a second they'd established like if the if the first order had developed some kind of tech that meant that repulsor lifts didn't work as well like and you know if they'd set that up like oh we're trying to do this but we can't get away as well because like we can't use our ship because they turn on this repulsor lift jammer and like that's just that's not like a big tech like yeah sure they could develop that and so now we need to use these other vehicles and stuff that could be a thing they established. Sure, do that. They didn't. It's just no. We we have animals. We're fighting with animals this time, and I guess it. I guess it matters. That kind of uh, pre-planning, Harry, requires pre-planning, which I don't believe they kind of did for any of this series. Let's actually. I want to take a look at a specific scene, and I think I think I'm kind of like running out of steam for yelling about this movie. But so let's talk about the rescue of Chewbacca. So, the crew, uh, so Ray, Finn, Poe, and a couple droids, right? Uh, they fly up to a Star Destroyer and land in a landing bay uh, to effect a rescue of Chewbacca that they have learned was on the Star Destroyer. Now, this is a direct callback, uh, even with, like, you know, some of the camera angles, some of the uh, uh, plotting, to some of the other infiltrations that we have seen. The thing is, those are infiltrations. So in the very first movie, the very first movie, this there's a very similar scene where the Millennium Falcon lands in the Death Star. A pair of stormtroopers walk up a ramp, which is just what happens in this movie. And then they're beat up and Luke and Han uh, take their stormtrooper gear so that they can sneak around the Death Star. Harry, how did they play out that scene in this movie? <laughs> I don't remember. Like, do, do they just show up? They just show up and start blasting. (laughs) They have three people. They land in the hangar of a Star Destroyer, and they decide their best plan for springing their buddy out of a jail of the Star Destroyer is to run out and just start shooting everywhere. This movie's just broken in so many ways. Like, I honestly think... Like, that could have been... Think about it. Think about that scene. If they play the, you know... Have it be a callback to the first movie. They beat up those two stormtroopers and they take the stormtrooper gear. You can even get a line where Finn is putting on stormtrooper gear and it's making him uncomfortable. You know, that's characterization. That's like emotion. That could have been like, you know, he's putting it on, he's getting chills, and people are like, dude, dude, this isn't you anymore. This movie is as big a disaster as any of the prequels, maybe even some of them combined. And like, you you were saying, Sam, like when we were when you were grief counseling me on Instant Messenger, you're saying like, hey, there's been bad important movies like 
uh, they made Man of Steel and like Dawn of Justice and Justice League. Those were all bad. And, you know, then they made good movies. But like this is the Star Wars has been one continuity forever. And people spend so long kind of salvaging the best parts of the prequels and kind of making it work. And eventually we got the Clone Wars. Eventually we got like the good Republic Commando novels. Eventually we got we got Rebels. We got the Mandalorian. People pulled good material out of that. How are people do going to do that for this? Like, I eventually think, Harry, they're just going to make different Batman movies. What are they going to do with this? Harry, I think, and I kind of shudder when I say this. I think we're going to have the return of stratified canon. I think, I think we're going to have, like, JJ canon. I think we're going to have D canon for Disney canon. Star Wars, nah, fuck that. <laughs> Like they're so Harry. What are the things? So what are the things that they have introduced that will clearly not be canon going forward? Hyperspace. J.J. Abrams. Well, like the the person. <laughs> Hyperspace tracking. They appear to have written that off completely. Uh, light speed collisions. Uh, they they mentioned it, but they also have that throwaway line. Oh, it's one in a million. So I think they're going to kind of like write that off into obscurity. Like you know, yes, that happened once, but it's not going to happen again. Stop fucking asking about it. God, I complained about that scene, but I would I would take it forever. At least it's stakes. At least it's something in the universe. At least it's something that matters. Uh, but it's not in the air. Eh. That, that's, that's an argument for another time, Harry. Uh, but I think... Everything people were mad about in the franchise before pales to now. Like, God, give me more talks about, like, trade disputes. I want it. I know. I want it. I want... Stakes! Like, that's a universe! That made it... They played it bad, like, you know, it was clunky dialogue, but the thing is, that made it feel like a real fucking universe. It was a weird story, maybe not the best one to tell, but it was a story, like, I It had stakes, it had plot, it had, it had volume, you know, it, it made sense, you could walk around in that universe in your mind, and you knew where you would be going, whereas in this, just nothing matters, nothing makes sense, and- I'm sure there's some talented fucking uh, creators. There's there's a director out there who, you know, I don't know I mean, who you I are. I don't love Rian Johnson. Like, I'm, I'm not saying he's like, I'm not saying he's the bee's knees, but Knives Out was great. I think he was wrong for a Star Wars movie, but Rian Johnson is really good. Like, he he did a lot of I, good I stuff like he, in, the, in The Last Jedi. There's some stuff he that made I just mistake. can't forgive. He made some mistakes that I feel like he would have learned from, you know? I don't know if you learned from light speed collision. Like, no, no, that's the word. Light speed collision is the worst thing that's ever happened to Star Wars. I'm just throw that out there. No, uh, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, nope. yeah, no. Light speed skipping this one is worse. Light speed skipping this one is worse. It's no yep, light speed collisions is worse because light speed collisions completely negates the entire theme of the movie. Harry, like the the entire. The entire shtick of the Empire, and before them the Trade Federation, and after them the First Order, is to create big fuck-off space things. And if you could just uh, negate I, I'm it... Giving you, I'm giving you 20 seconds to talk about this, because this is actually not a conversation that I want to have right here. <laughs> it's to create big fuck-off space things, and if you could negate it by strapping a hyperdrive onto a small fighter and just destroy it in one shot, what's the fucking point of anything? Okay, I'm done. Okay, they... They mentioned a thing about shields, so you can just say that shields usually counter them. Like I, I'm saying, like sure that causes problems, but whatever. It, it, there's mm, there, 
Okay, a very clever Star Wars fan came up with a workaround that I'm actually cool with. Do you want to keep talking about this, or? How many sentences is it? Uh, just like two. The operating fan theory is that lightspeed collisions can only occur against a ship that is currently running hyperspace tracking because that ship is both in hyperspace and real space simultaneously in order to affect the tracking. What do you think they're going to come up with for this movie? Uh, that the Star Wars... Okay, so what are the problems going forward with continuity? The the Death Star cannons everywhere? That's a big problem, right? We need... Does the universe need to correct for that? Like, because they they needed, like, years and decades and, like, planets worth of resources. There's entire Star Wars books that I've, like, read, which are prequels set in the era of planets being stripped mined to make the resources to make the Death Star. And, like, they don't realize it, but it's like, yeah, the Emperor needs us to make, like, ten times the yield we did last time. And they're, like, executing miners and stuff just to make that. Well, they could probably say that, you know, the reason... They did that for the Death Star was because the Death Star was supposed to be a continuing entity, whereas maybe these Star Destroyers are supposed to just be kind of like one-shot chumps. So, like, the... the <laughs> they're, they're like Gillette's razors of Star of Death Stars. Yeah, yeah, maybe, like, maybe they fire their laser cannons and then explode most of the time, and, you know, their cannon shorts out even if they don't explode. Maybe, like, the, the tech is so ridiculously unstable that it's not worth it. I don't believe that. Like, there's. It would seem that a couple you... laser blasts could destroy a star, uh, a star destroyer with one of That's these attachments. That's because nothing matters in this universe. I know you nothing like, matters. Gah! You could, you could throw a paper cup at an ATST and it would explode, and the camera would move and be like, "Well, I guess that works," and then they'd just move on and there'd be another planet in ten seconds. Like, I don't. That's. At some point in my life, Sam, I'm going to have to come to peace with this movie, but that's years away. No, 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 Harry, Harry, we need to write the 95 treatises of ha- of what needs to be done with Star Wars, and we need to nail it to the headquarters of Disney. <laughs> I thought you were going to say nail it to the head of J.J. Abrams. Like, I, no, 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 we, pr- we need to nail he, it to the door, he... like, you know, like Martin Luther nailing it to the door of the Catholic Church. Like, and I know I'm being a little unfair here, like, I haven't researched the man, but I just want to blame someone. He bears the brunt of the responsibility because he was the director in charge of this. Yeah, so we like, we can blame him for this. The, we can also if you take the credit what's good. Then you take the credit what's bad. We can also blame him for kind of setting a rotten foundation with the force. Uh, the Force Awakens. It was salvageable. It was salvageable, but they needed different people to salvage it. It's just a failure. I just hate it. I'm I'm gonna try to. Now that we've had this conversation, I'm going to watch The Mandalorian and Solo. And, like, tonight, I'm watching some good Star Wars. Do uh, you think Solo's good enough to make me feel better, or is it just okay? Um, Solo is a fun romp that didn't need to exist at all, but it is pretty fun. Okay, I, I'll settle for fun. So I'll, I'll watch something tonight, I'll eat a muffin, and I'll take some antidepressants. I got my knife ahead of me. But <laughs> next episode... Uh, next episode, we're covering Kamen Rider Kuga, episodes 1, 2, 11, and 12, which will make sense, hopefully, when we watch it. And uh, we'll do that in seven days. Hopefully, we'll feel better about things. It's been a rough week to be a nerd. Everyone, just keep dancing. Just for the love of God, everyone, keep dancing. That's that bad idea. 
Oh boy. Okay. That was. I gotta edit that. <laughs>